Hungry Trilobite podcast would like to acknowledge conventions such as WeedonCon. WeedonCon is a fan-generated charity event for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, Firefly, and all Joss Whedon creations. It is scheduled for October of 2020 and is held in Los Angeles, California. Portion of the proceeds benefit the Los Angeles LGBT Center, as well as the Ron Glass Memorial Scholarship. See details at WeedonCon.com. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today we're welcoming author Shannon Eichhorn and have a fantastic discussion about her book and fandom past and present. Unfortunately, we had a few technical problems which made the episode a little shorter than normal, so Shannon and I agreed to make a part two very, very soon. I strongly encourage you to catch this one and that one together. If you're the kind of person who doesn't mind waiting a week or two for the payoff, let's go ahead and get started. Otherwise, feel free to go ahead and check out any of the other almost 40 self-contained episodes of this podcast. Let's welcome Shannon. On mic today, we have Shannon Eichhorn. How have you been? Pretty good. How about you? I am doing fantastic. I am really eager to sit down and talk with you here because... Going back and forth with you on social media, I've gotten really interested in this book of yours, Rights of Use. Yay! And I'm looking forward to sitting down and talking about that. Awesome. Thank you. So this book is... I'm interested in your motivation. I'll put it either that way. Okay. Uh, mostly because reading the history of you writing this book in your blog, it's roughly about the the history of... Uh, how the world, whether we understand there are aliens or not, and it goes over a long period of time, and yet you're not a big fan of history. No. And that's unusual for a writer, and definitely unusual for a writer of historical past. So, where a lot of that came from was that I was trying to convert a fan fiction series mm-hmm. um, I had been writing this fan fiction series throughout high school and as I was getting ready to graduate my mom's like why don't you just convert it to original fiction and I'm like you can't do that mom so I did simple enough uh, yeah I was already writing original characters and obviously an original story um, so all I had to do was convert the setting, the entire setting of a space opera. Um, so one of the places that I reached out to that to do was a passing interest in um, UFOs. Mm-hmm. So I had heard about Project Blue Book and I started researching that. And as I was digging into the University of Colorado's final report, based on the Blue Book files, um, I found this curious phrase that actually made it into um, my final book that talked about, we assume the Air Force gave us all relevant information. So that leaves a pretty big opening, especially if, you know, your final conclusion is none of this is real and it's not a threat to the country. 
well, if I'm going to write about it being real and a threat to the country, then obviously the Air Force didn't give them all relevant files, and it left me a nice opening um, to build that new world and that new setting. Sure. And I just find it interesting that it, putting myself in the perspective of whoever is writing that report, what's my motivation to leave that clause in there? Well, I see two things from what I've read. Um, one, purportedly, and it's kind of hard to trust, you know, UFO research. Um, the team was mixed and had people with both a pro-extraterrestrials exist bias and an anti-extraterrestrials exist bias. So, obviously, there would be some sort of tension that they would need to resolve in, um, in their final documentation. But also, these were a bunch of scientists and engineers and specialists in their field. Uh, they're going to be very thorough and put in all their assumptions like, we assume we know everything, and if not, don't blame us. Makes sense. Makes sense. So when you want to sit down and, and write this book, what what prompted that? What What made you want to do the conversion from fan fiction to actual fiction, aside from your mom? Over the, the five years that I was working on the fan fiction series, it became really important to me for the themes um, that I was, I started it in uh, 2002. So it was right after September 11th and there was all this um, racism in the U.S. cropping up and, and being very vocal again. And I had a lot of problems with that. Um, so as so I was writing this fan fiction series, um, you know, from a show that's very, these are the good guys, these are the bad guys, I wanted to get into more shades of gray. Mm -hmm. um, and do that. And so the, the whole series became very important to me. And, you know, when I started over rewriting it in 2007, um, I did it with the intention of going through at least enough of the series to capture that theme. Um, so I, I guess I didn't really write it, write this book for this book. I wrote this book so I can tell the rest of the story, which is kind of weird. Um, well, not really weird, actually. Okay. Uh, because... I'm actually, I don't read a lot of fan fiction. I'll be very honest with you, but I've written a lot and I talk to people who write a lot mm -hmm. and I don't put it down. I don't disparage it because there is something to having all the little characters already made for you. The world is set. You just have to set it up and see how it plays out. That's a great writing exercise. And I, I, I'm a big fan of that because it gives you a good way to sharpen your writing skills. It gives you a good way to play with ideas without having to reinvent the wheel over and over again. Absolutely. Um, it's funny. Somehow I end up doing a, a Marcon, a fan fiction panel at Marcon every year. And uh, every year we always end up with 
this is wonderful stuff and it's good for the community. Well, sure it is. And really, if you if you take the premise that only the people who created the characters have the right to work on them, then isn't every Superman story made in the past 30 years fan fiction? Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, no. You, you, you have to say that once you get to know the character, you have the right to work with it. Maybe not publish it. That's a sure. different ball of wax. Sure. But if you can write a good story, write a good story. Always. And it's from the perspective of, you know, Star Wars or Star Trek or the big franchises. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the fan fiction that keeps people excited as things are coming um, in the gaps between releases. Mm -hmm. Big time. It's yeah, the I fan fiction and the cosplay and the, mm -hmm. the con suite talk. And that's something we've really forgotten about in the very recent past, because like, as you're well aware, Star Trek had a dark period between 2005 and 2009, between the end of Enterprise and the beginning of the J.J. movie. And Star mm -hmm. Wars had an even longer one between the Return of the Jedi and Phantom Menace, where right. there was just no real new content aside from the comic books and the novels and stuff. But even those were few and far between. I love the novels. Um, haven't read a lot of them on the, the war side, uh, Star Trek, I have a library. Um, but the, the fact is that that you, you had to embrace the fan community if you wanted anything. Right. Growing up in the nineties, I took it as an article of faith that there were three Star Wars movies and that was it. And that's all there ever would be. Four, five, and six. Yeah. You know, I believe that too, even, yeah, I, even when I was little, you know. Mm-hmm. I, so go ahead. I was 10 when Phantom Menace came out, so I didn't have a whole lot to, you know, wait. Ah, okay. But, you know, it was still a big shock when it was released, when it the was. news was released. Yeah, and I said, as somebody who, I, I, I was two and a half when return of the jedi came out so and i was think i was like 18 when phantom menace came out and and like i said uh, most of my childhood and my teen years was like there's no more star wars they're done making star wars star wars is a trilogy and if you didn't get into everything else you you didn't have much to go on sure makes and a lot of sense and that's what we're we're missing now is that you know Disney's cranking them out every year, and there's three different Star Trek productions in just this year alone, and I'm I love that, but don't forget what life was like just a few years ago. I gotta say, I I feel now that I'm writing more, I feel very disconnected from that. Um, I spend so much time working on my own works that I, I get to stop and enjoy the franchises that I love, but the only time I really participate in fandom is in conventions. Sure. Well, let me ask you this, and I this is the first time you and I have really had a conversation, so I'm, I don't know this, but <laughs> are there any recent Star Wars movies you weren't super crazy about? Maybe. Okay. 
do you spend a lot of time on the internet pissing and moaning about that? I don't. Really? So by actually having something to create yourself, you're not so inclined to be negative on something else. I feel like I left my fandom. No. Uh, Go ahead. I, I feel like, you know, I... I lived Star Wars and I breathed Star Wars and then I went to SG-1 and I lived SG-1 and breathed SG-1 and then I just didn't have time for for an intense fandom anymore. I'm kind of sad about that. Um, so, so when the new Star Wars movies came out and, you know, 70, episode 7 was a great... J.J. Abrams' adventure, and I could appreciate it for its good parts and know that that's what it was going to be. And then Rogue One came out, and it was like the best Star Wars movie ever. And it was like the X-Wing series. But it's... Working on the intense series that I'm working on um, with a day job and everything... Like, I feel free to just. So you were saying you left you left the fandom. Oh wow! Okay. Um, that part all recorded on my end, but. Okay. That was um, long. Here you go. <laughs> okay, I, I'm looking forward to listening to it then. Okay. I. Um, I, I would say, I mean. Did you lose, did you leave the fandom or did you just make it better by not getting petty about some things? Both. Um, I'm a lot less engaged with all the things that are coming out. Um, I was really excited about the tie-in between, Disney is doing a lot of book and on-screen tie-ins right now and that was something that I always felt was missing. So I'm very excited about that, even though I'm not engaging in it. Mm -hmm. um, so from that perspective, I'm not, if I'm not participating, then I'm not really in that deep in the fandom. Um, but I, you know, I don't think I'm dragging it down by being able to say, yeah, there are flaws, and I know that here are the good parts that I enjoyed, and, you know, there are other things out there that are also amazing. Yeah, and, and I would agree with that. I The point I was kind of getting at was that, you know, I found that people, once they start to really get creative on their own and start to kind of create their own little pet projects, they're a lot more forgiving when they don't like how a certain character resolved an arc or they don't like how many action figures were made out of a certain... They let the little stuff go, and I think that's good for everybody. I think it is. I think it's a lot easier to say, oh, that got missed in editing, or mm -hmm. that was, you know, a dramatic choice. For example, in... I went to see episode nine with my sister. She's going to shoot me when she hears this. Um, and she was very, very upset about the ending, mm -hmm. which... I had tried to tell her beforehand, Star Wars has these established patterns, and I don't think they're going to deviate from that one. Mm -hmm. um, 
but going back to our fan fiction discussion, you know, we got home from the theater and I started writing Fix It Fic for her. <laughs> nice. That's a good gift. Yeah. And it takes the whole, like, Jedi off in a direction that is consistent with the extended universe and with the on-screen mythology, but has never been explored. And I was really excited about that. And, you know, I think I'm on the list of people that if someday they let me write for Star Wars, I would totally jump at it. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, there's always fan fiction. Yeah, and that's that's a fantastic way to approach it. Like I said, if you, if, I like the term fixed it fiction. I've never heard that before, but I like it a lot. <laughs> you know, there's all these opportunities to write alternate realities or bring an arc back around or mm -hmm. in a gap between episodes. I, I mean, and we're, there was a time... And this is actually before my time, so I'm, I'm literally saying there was a time because it wasn't my. But uh, the first few generations of, of Star Trek conventions, uh, they would have entire tables full of fan fiction that was bound and printed because it's like, well, we just have we had a three season show and then a cartoon series and there's nothing after that. So a, a cottage industry started up on people making what you're now calling fix it fic that's like. Well, what happened to Khan? And, uh, you know, what happened to the ship after the show ended? And, and you know, is this person really in love with that person? Some people stepped up. And this was huge because, like I said about Star Wars, for a while, nobody thought there would be anything else. Right. Fanzines. The, the good old days of fanzines. Mm -hmm. I've heard it. I know people yeah. who have participated, but it's and, a whole it's it's definitely different and to an extent to an extent what's the I problem was, i was just saying I, I see the value in having printed stories as well true true um, well shannon it looks like we're having some trouble all the way around here uh, what's, but I, I think we're really having a good discussion here and maybe we should both take some notes and get back together real soon and maybe make a part two to this discussion. I think that would be all right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, where can people check out your book and your adventures on the internet? <laughs> all right. My book is available right now on Amazon mostly. Um, and also the bookshop in Lakewood, which is doing interesting things to be able to handle the current situation um okay for the audio folks it's called rights of use project black book volume one it's available like i said amazon kindle and audible and pretty much any audiobook vendor you can think of i'm going to make sure all that gets put in the show notes on my website awesome. and especially that bookshop there hope we can help them out a little bit uh Thank you so much for being here, and I would like to have this part two after I read your book so I can talk about some of the details on that, too. That would be a blast. Okay. Uh, I will talk to you soon. Take good care, right. okay? Take care. I would like to thank Shannon for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. Again, in just a few short weeks, we're going to have part two of this discussion. For the community building part of the show today, I want to acknowledge that we've had a couple of different authors on in the recent past, so why not bring your love of this podcast to your local book group or 
Even better, if you know of an author that I might be missing, maybe an up-and-comer or a budding writer, why not send me their recommendation in my email, bossigpodcast at yahoo.com, or tag me on Twitter and tag them as well. Let us connect and let me see their work. I would really be interested in helping out any future writers. Please subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Hungry Trilobite Podcast is syndicated on Realm of the Mist, a fantastic podcast network. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.